Welcome to the I Want to Like Whiskey podcast. Maybe you've had a bad experience with whiskey in the past or had very strong, neat spirit thrust upon you and surprisingly not enjoyed it. If so, then this is the conversation for you. I'm Rob Patchett, Global Whiskey Ambassador for the Cotswolds Distillery, and I'm joined by leading personalities in the drinks industry who agree that more people need to drink whiskey, but on their terms. We discuss whiskey cocktails, experiences, great people to follow in the industry, and how you can find your way into whiskey. Welcome, everyone, to the I Want to Light Whiskey podcast. Here we are, another week, another celebrity guest. So this week, I am very privileged to say that we have chef, all-round champion of British produce, as well as TV presenter and a man with a fine moustache and mullet, Mr. James Golding <laughs> of the Pig Hotels. Welcome to the show, and thank you for being here. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Rob. Good to be here. It's great. It's great. So, obviously... If people don't know, they should know by now who you are. But for those that don't, why don't you just give us a little rundown on who you are and what you do? Okay, so uh, I'm James Golding. I am the group chef director for the Pig Hotels. So basically, I have a amazing job, pretty much. I think everybody thinks that of uh, basically going from Cornwall to Kent, looking after all the food operations for our eight hotels. Um, we're a sustainably focused group of um, uh, restaurant with rooms, basically uh, sourcing our produce from within a 25 mile radius, as well as focusing on growing and producing our own um, uh, ingredients from our wall kitchen gardens, as well as from our uh, various um, animals. We have everything from quails to sheep to deer to beehives. I mean, you know, you name it, we try and grow it or, or produce it. So. Um, my job is to make sure that um, our philosophy is 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 met, as well as um, you know working with local producers, with apprentices, and um, indeed with our head chefs to to keep our philosophy on the right track. That is incredible, and also, as far as the way you guys operate, am I safe in saying that there aren't many, if any, hotels? be it independent or actually groups that are able to sustainably do that. And by sustainably, I mean everyone has the best of intentions with regards to how they want to source their produce, how they want to get um, their practices in place, how they actually want to be responsible to the environment. But let's be completely honest, it's very, very difficult. So yeah. would I be right in saying that the pig is quite the um, quite the trailblazer in that market? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's fair to say. I mean, I think, you know, we definitely don't make life hard for us, easy for ourselves, I should say. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I, I know that we were the first people in the UK to win the SRA um, Sustainability Award within the top 100 hotels in the country. So, I mean, that gives you an idea of how it all began. And um, I think that uh, nowadays there's definitely other players that are definitely doing some incredible things, but... I would say that um, there's probably not as many that are doing it on the same sort of uh, uh, level as us with eight hotels or following the same philosophy. I think that that's something which we do have down, something that we're very focused on and something that I would say is, is uh, probably, um, yeah, in the minority at the moment. 
I've always been huge fans of you. And now the fact that we get to work with you guys as your actual house whiskey is such a privilege for us as well. And we'll get onto that in a little bit. But uh, I guess, you know, the genesis of the podcast is about I want to like whiskey. And I guess the uh, that really boils down to an endeavor of flavor and an endeavor of challenging yourself with things that you want to like. And that's why I really wanted to have you on the show as well is because. Whiskey isn't about just a retailer, a journalist, a distiller, a bartender. Chefs and food are a huge part of what whiskey can be as well. And, you know, when we get onto that later, we'll talk about it. But what's your relationship with whiskey? Um, it's, I mean, I love whiskey. It's something that as, as a young young man, it was something that, that I always sort of looked forward to drinking. And, and I think when I was a lot younger, you know, sort of late teens, it was something that I associated with my family. My, my stepfather was really into his whiskies and um, he, he used to, you know, it was something that we had at Christmas or something that we had on a special occasion. I think that, you know, when, when you have that um, association with, you know, good times as well as really great quality whiskey, it, it breeds happy memories, doesn't it? And I think that's something which, which um, as a young man, was, was something that, that I had a lot of respect for. As I grew older, I, I started getting into the really sort of Peter like Oban and, and Glenmorangian, you know, all those sort of like slightly different whiskies. And, um, and, and I think when I became a chef, uh, uh, we used to go out and eat a lot. So as a young chef, I mean, you, you never have a lot of money. But when, when you did have a bit of money, we'd go and eat in some really great restaurants in London because that's where I was living at the time. And it was one of those things back in the day when you would always finish the meal with a fantastic whiskey and sometimes a cigar. And I think that um, as I grew older, I developed a, a, an appreciation, which was something that, you know, you shared with friends rather than family and, and being able to talk about, you know, what been going on that week, about the meal that you've just had, but as well, you know, about about how great that whiskey was. So I think that, you know, my relationship with whiskey has really sort of developed from something that, that I, I, you know, only had on special occasions and then something that I loved after a meal to now something which, to be honest, you know, I, I, I have every now and again when I'm just relaxing at home. And, you know, I, I enjoy um, my whiskeys, you know, with friends and family at home. I, I don't have so many of the cigars anymore, I must admit. But, you know, it's, um, it's, it's something which I, I suppose is... It's a journey, isn't it? It's a journey of whiskey, and, and your my palate's changed a lot as well. I think that um, as I've got older, you know, I, I'm not so sort of focused on those really strong, peaty, heavy sort of whiskies. Now, now I prefer something a little bit lighter. Sometimes, you know, a nice dash of water in there just to sort of bring out the flavours. It's um, it's interesting how your palate changes as you get older, and how your interest in 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 the the producers as well as the um, uh, areas change. I think that is something, especially for us at the Cotswolds Distillery, we're really excited about is the fact that people are recognizing that their own palates change. And when their own palates change and they develop and they, they people become more curious about flavor, that's where they want to be. Couple that with people like yourself, people who have been preaching from the top of know your producers, know where everything comes from, find who's making things of high quality and ask them the questions because people do want to be so much more transparent that you can build that affinity with not only a style of whiskey that you like, but a producer that you like. And I think that that is why, again, I wanted you on the show is because there is that synergy of if you know what you like and you know it's of quality, find the producer, ask them questions and know exactly what's going on make sure there is transparency and today 
I didn't know whether you're, you were aware, but there are 50 English whiskey producers, Amazing. which means that as of today, we are on the precipice of a, an entire category and everyone's around to witness it as well. So that's why it's, it's always exciting when people like yourselves at The Pig embrace all of these wonderful British producers from whiskey makers to gin to vodka to sparkling wine to still wine. And then that is all there to accompany all of the wonderful food as well. And I think there's just this huge amount of synergy that we're not talking about yet. And we're at the beginning. Um, I don't think there's a question in there. It's just sort of more of a statement. But I do think that food and whiskey, food and good times, food and escapism, they all go hand in hand. And I think as we all progress, there's more there's more of those things to be done. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, going back to the food and, and the local producers, I mean, that's something which is is obviously very, very important to us. And it was something about being, like you said, being proud of, of, of our country and being proud of the areas that we're sort of um, uh, involved in. And, I, and I'm a firm believer that, you know, people, if, if you know the people, if you understand the producer, if you understand their mission and what they want to do, you know, one, you can promote that product, you know, better than any sort of advert or anything, you know, we, we want people to come in and try that and understand it and like it and love it and go out and buy it. And I think that, you know, within within our philosophy, especially with the 25 mile radius of our menus, you know, we don't just sort of say that we're doing this or, you know, we don't just put it on the menu and say, you know, this is from Dorset or this is, you know, Cotswold, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's on the back of the menu. We cement that by sort of telling people about the producers and about the radius and about, yeah, the reasons why these people do this. And I think this is something that's that's so incredible about most of the producers in the UK now is that we're not just pumping out products that um, we think are cool just because we want to make them. You know, there's reasons behind them. There's a lot of thought behind them. Sometimes there's tons of history behind them. And I think that, you know, this is something that as a nation we should be really proud of. You know, you go to other countries like Spain and, and France and Italy and and they have all this amazing heritage. And I think it's something which we have as well, but we don't shout enough about. And, I, you know, I think through food and through drink and through, you know, the incredible produce and, and, and um, ingredients that are out there, it's a, it's a fantastic way for us to really show off, you know, the, the amazing things within the British Isles. Yeah, but I mean, I, I like to do a little bit of research before I uh, have guests on this show, just so that I'm not left a bit short. And I did listen to an interview that you did on a podcast a few weeks ago. Yeah. And you did talk about how if you say to people about let's go out for food, usually it's an orientation of where it's from. So let's go out yes. and have Italian food. Let's go out and have Thai food. Let's go out and have Chinese food. Yeah. No one actually ever says let's go out and have English food, even though we have amazing beef amazing pork amazing chickens like we yeah. grow some of the best you know, everything there is so much on our doorstep and no one goes yeah. i fancy an english tonight even though yeah. we do make incredible food and today I, I mean you got into chef you got into chefing at a very young age what was that late 90s early 2000s yeah mid 90s yeah 16 yeah exactly and i imagine You've seen the progression of food through working with the likes of Le Caprice, with Mark Hicks, with Soho House, and then obviously with the pig group. You've seen that progression of working with small producers. And I guess the drink scene is only just in the last five or six years really catching up to what chefs have been doing for the last 25, 30 years, which is what have I got around me? What can I work with? And yeah. I think that is the exciting thing is that when we talk about going out for English food, we should also be championing what we can drink English. We've all, I mean, every village has its own brewery. Yeah. I think 
now every village is starting to have its own gin distillery <laughs> whether that's a good thing or a bad thing i don't know but i that is again there's that's why i love the pig is because you guys do th everything 360 and when i say that i mean everything from your food down to the toiletries in the bedrooms down to your drinks everything is thought of as a 360 perspective on how you can champion your local area and I, you know, this is a kind of a broad-ended question, so feel free to go on as long or as short as you want. But how hard is that? I mean, it's not easy. It can't be. No, and, and it's definitely not. And, and actually, it's quite interesting, you know, reflecting on this as, as you know, from, from our sort of side of it, because I suppose it's something that we've been doing for so long that it's just part of our day-to-day -day, uh, uh, kind of, you know, job. But... Um, you know, when, when you actually take a step back and you look at it, you know, our, our head chefs, I mean, obviously we've got eight now across the group. Our head chefs are, are, you know, they're not only creating menus, focusing on those local producers. They're also working with me to source the new producers. We're working with our wall kitchen gardeners to make sure that we're utilising absolutely everything from the kitchen garden. So it doesn't go to waste or so that it doesn't, you know, get get bolt and, and you know, we lose the whole, whole sort of... Uh, um, uh, line in the garden you know we work with our foragers we work with all of these people that make um what we do us is something that i think we kind of take for granted but you know i think back to the times when i worked in london i mean you've seen you mentioned about working with mark and all those guys and yeah we we would we'd be in the center of, of the city so it was picking up the phone it was placing your order you know next day you'd walk in and that order would be stacked up you know at the front door and you'd bring it down and start to cook whereas you know with us it's it's a bit more sort of involved. It's a, it's a, well, it's a lot more involved. You know, we, we're working with multiple people, and I think that one that's the fun of it, though. That is the fun. You know, being able to sort of sit there and create a menu. Sometimes it changes, you know, twice a day. Sometimes it's once a day. Sometimes it's every other day. But you know, the chefs will constantly have in their mind probably ten or twelve dishes that they're going to be rotating onto the menu at any one time, and that's. That's something which um, myself and my senior team work with them about. But, you know, each chef is basically in control of his own menu. So, you know, we're not we're not telling them what they have to cook. We're not saying, right, you know, I want this dish on or that dish on. The fact of the matter is, is that they need to be confident with them, themselves to put those dishes on. But at the same time, we need to make sure that they're within the pigs kind of, you know, within our style and, and, and utilising what is available at the time. So... It really is uh, a very well-oiled machine, but at the same time, it's it's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of a lot of hard work. And I think that, you know, my, my biggest sort of joy that I'm getting out of my job at the moment is all these young apprentices that we have coming through the pig. I mean, we've got almost eighty um, current uh, chef apprentices working um, within our within our kitchens, and and you know, well, actually seventy across the group. So I think it's something like thirty now across across the uh, kitchens, but. You know, these young people, I remember when, you know, I used to go to see colleges and work with colleges, you're sort of only cooking with the produce that you get given, you know, or within the topics that you need to cover. Whereas our young people, you know, they're spending time in the wall kitchen gardens, they're spending time out with producers, they're spending time learning how to make cheese and, you know, learning how to care for animals. We put them onto beekeeping courses if they're interested in it and, and basically take them on that whole journey. So... We're hoping that we end up with a, uh, a a chef by the end of it that not only can they cook really well and they understand how to create 
amazing flavors and put the beautiful you know plates of food and, and, and create you know stunning uh dishes but at the same time they understand about sustainability they know where the foods come from they understand about amazing producers doing fantastic things they understand about food waste and and why they shouldn't throw half of that you know ingredient in the bin because the poor old kitchen garden has been out there digging it up in freezing cold soil half the winter you know and having a bit of a respect for their produce and and i think you know that that's something that's very different within what we do and something which obviously we're very proud of and i think these days as well that is becoming more of a narrative around everything that goes with food and drink I know at the distillery, we are very much focusing on the fact that as a production facility, we create waste and the, the conversation has to be around what happens to that waste. Um, we work with obviously a single farm in the Cotswolds to get all of our barley. We work with Warminster Maltings down near Bath where we get all of our barley malted and then at the distillery from malted barley all the way through to bottling, everything is done on site. Now, that, is, that can be said of most distilleries. What we're now trying to do is we're in the process of thinking, okay, well, what about the waste effluent fluid? What about the spent grain? How can that be processed and actually be processed on site so that we're making sure that not only can we cultivate something from that waste, but we're responsibly taking care of it in a closed loop. And so right now we're implementing nine um, huge sort of reed bed ponds that will act as an environmental treatment system for all of our lighter effluent fluid, which means that from a, the idea of not only taking care of our waste, but also letting that waste feed into an environment that is going to be naturally cultivated from, is it's super exciting. And then also all of our draft goes just to the top of the hill to feed the cows. So yeah. when we get the opportunity, I've got some bartenders coming up, but if you ever wanted to bring some of your young chefs up, just to sort of see the 100%. other side of what can be done with not only spent barley, but also waste liquid, and then the, the end produce as well. It just gives you a better idea of what producers are actually doing with regards to that responsibility. And yeah. No, exactly. I think there's too many people that greenwash at the moment and I would rather people like you and us at the distillery and the pig group sort of host people and open a conversation that's completely transparent. So it's like, if you want to ask a question, ask it. We're not going to sing from a marketing sheet. We're out here doing it and we're doing it properly. Yeah, it, exactly. And I think, you know, it, the, the whole thing about working with local producers about understanding the reasons why people are doing that job but, and also the reasons why their produce is so good and, and, this is one thing which, I mean, one, yes, we'd love to come. And that's something that I, I, I would love to put on my list right now, because I think, you know, young people benefit from that 100%. But the other thing is, you know, it's when you're working with producers and you're understanding what their challenges are, you know, a lot of um, a lot of hotels, a lot of restaurants, you know, we're all sort of price driven. And I think the fact of the matter is, is that world is not that simple and you know we all have our challenges and as we all know the price of food the price of everything is just increasing but when you're talking to somebody on a personal level and they're explaining to you why this is happening and, and how this is happening and the reasons and all the rest of it then you say right okay well then you know we want to work with you how do we make this work better and I think that this is something which I feel a lot of uh people in the hospitality industry, they, they think it's black and white. You know, if, they, if, if a company puts a price up, well, we'll just stop using them, we'll find something cheaper. You know, this isn't how life works. Life life is something that is give and take and it's understanding and it's it's being able to, to, to work with people and get the best out of people and get the best 
um, you know, produce and, and, and uh, quality ingredients into your into your business. And I think that this is something which 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 I really love about the way that we do things at the Pig is that you know we work with with our with our um, suppliers and we work with people so that you know we, we can fully understand everybody's challenges and, and come to come to a great agreement. And it's something which I think has really stood us in good stead. And and I think it's also the reason why you know people come to our restaurants and they want to try the incredible. Um, uh, local projects because they know that we're, we're, we're doing what we, we say on the tin and, and I think that that's a great part of business isn't it that's that's the exact phrase that I always use you know say what you'll do and do what you'll say yeah. and if it's exactly what it says on the tin then you've got a great product so exactly. one thing that I do want to talk about because it's quite exciting is obviously the future uh, and you guys have got a new opening next year yep um, I'm happy to say that that new opening I, as I look out of my office window is over the hill from where I'm sat and yep. so do you want to talk a little bit about that well I mean obviously you know I, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say <laughs> we can we can edit accordingly <laughs> uh well obviously yeah so we, we have um I believe it's a pig on the farm coming very soon it's something that um uh, we're very excited about I think uh, I mean I'm currently sat at the pig near Bath now and um obviously it's not a million miles away from here but uh it's. Uh, I, th- I think it's going to be a very different sort of style to, not style, but very a slightly different sort of setup to what we have currently at the pigs. I think it's going to be a lot bigger, um, a lot more fun. I know that uh, there's lots of interesting um, uh, uh, bits and pieces we're going to be doing on the property, but I'm not sure yet what has been confirmed and what hasn't, Rob. So. Um... Well, no, no, no. I appreciate you just speaking about that. What One thing I will say is that you are less than 20 minutes, not even miles, less than 20 minutes from the distillery. Yeah. So uh, every That's time true. you're up there, you can definitely pop down and we'll go down to the warehouse and see what's brewing in there and see what we've got aging and see what's interesting. We're also going to be on the precipice of... Um, expanding what we're going to do on site with regards to uh some growing growing our own things as well so it'd be great to be able to pick your brains on that one as well because this is it it's you get to a certain point in your journey as a company as a producer as a provider as a person in hospitality and you always have to be thinking 10 steps ahead you can't just rest on your laurels and go oh we're pretty sustainable we'll just leave it at that you have to be right what's next what's next what's next because Nature will only give you so much, and you have to be proactive to what you've got around you. That's right, hundred percent. And yeah, you know, and I think that's you, you know going back to what I was saying about you know the foraging and obviously you know growing uh, the amount of different things we grow in the garden. Uh, I think you know utilizing what you have around you is, is I suppose, one of our biggest kind of um, uh, uh, focuses. I mean, I, I was chatting to someone the other day. We were talking about you know some of our gardens and and. The, the one here in Bath is huge. You know, it's massive. Mm. It's probably about an it's acre. amazing site. And, yeah. And but then again, the one down in Brockenhurst is probably half the size of this one. So, I think a few people ask me, "How do you utilize uh, your plants?" So I was trying to explain to them that each plant has a slightly different use. We don't just plant something. You know, get the get the fruit from that plant and then cut it out. You know, it's 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 always planted in the idea that we will use that plant throughout the different stages of the season. So. We would use, say, say I always use the Munch beer radish, actually, is quite a good example. So we plant it as a radish. We heavily plant the, the, the um, bed. We'll then thin those out and we'll use them as small little radishes. And then as the plant grows, it will start to produce, obviously, the flowers. 
So the flowers can be used as garnishes. They've got a lovely little peppery flavour, like a radish. Fantastic. And then those flowers turn into seed pods. The seed pods look like little green chilies, and we'll pick those off. The lovely and crunchy, we'll pickle those and put them through salads. And then obviously the leaves can be taken wilted, chopped up, pureed, cream leaf, whatever you want to do with it. You know, there's multiple different uses for it. And then at the end of it, we'll take the radish and the radish will then be used in that traditional fashion. So what we want to do is is actually have multiple stages within a plant's life that we can utilise that produce yeah. and put it on the menu in different... Oh, and also, you know, you can pick the shoots before it starts to flower. Tempura shoots, I mean, they're one of my favourite little springtime snacks with a little lemon dressing or vinaigrette or mayonnaise or whatever. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's about understanding that. And I think that's one thing that... People, when, when they, they come to the pig, they see our gardens, go, oh, isn't it pretty, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, they'll use this and that. But it's about trying to also educate people on how to make the most out of the small space that we actually have. In, it's in, the space and then I, I guess, like you said, it's the life it's the life cycle of that plant, of what you've planted. Because it's not like barley where you plant it, you grow it, you harvest it and you're done. You kind of need to have... A, con- a consistent use of it so like you say when the shoots are coming up in the spring you want that but then also you want to be able to use the stem you want to be able to use the leaves and then you need to use the actual the actual radish as well so um, yeah, yeah. Th- that to me is what sustainable actually means because sustainable is the fact that that plant will keep coming back and keep coming back stronger or the whole time while you're getting use out of it as well there is a whole narrative around you know, terroir and the use of soil and the use of plants in whiskey going on at the moment. And whilst it's a huge debate that I'm not interested in getting into, <laughs> I do I do think that it is positive that these conversations are that now transcending beyond food into the drinks culture as well, because for too long as drinks producers, the entire industry has got away with too much and not had the transparency. So, uh, you know, kudos to the chef world and what you've all been able to do because it is now cascading across the entire industry from drinks all the way through to everything else as to what people are doing and how they can actually benefit their environment and their industry as well amazing yeah that's right yeah so um a few questions that we're going to sort of not wrap up on but usually i ask people about you know their guilty pleasure within a, a whiskey serve but you know, as I say, you are you are a chef, and I imagine between all the driving you've got, all of the work you've got, and then obviously having a young family, I can't imagine that you are going to be on a Tuesday night sitting down going, what whiskey pina colada am I going to have? I always talk about whiskey pina coladas. But I guess, you know, we can still make these, make these applicable. So I guess, you know, yeah. what's your overall, when it comes to having a drink and just sort of going, oh, do you know what, I don't care, I'm just going to kick back. What is your guilty pleasure when it comes to just relaxing by yourself and having a drink say for instance dream scenario you've got a bartender an invisible bartender who's not going to bug you but he'll make you whatever you want wherever you want what you do what are you going for okay so i mean so so probably when i was talking about my journey of whiskey as well i also left out obviously my time in in america and bourbon was a big part of 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 something that that i drank when i was out there and um my my father-in-law who who's sort of mountain american guy got a great lovely house up in the mountains of arizona you know you can imagine wow. now lots of lots of fun stuff happening up there he's he's an absolute sort of bourbon connoisseur and i know they'll obviously see that link and um and and so i i actually something that that i started drinking out there was actually an a um the apple bourbon 
Now, I know that it's artificially flavoured and all the rest of it, but we're talking guilty pleasures, right? So we're not being too sort of... No, 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 no. <laughs> There's no elitism going right, on here. Okay. okay. So, so I actually really like um, the, the Jack Daniels apple flavoured bourbon with um, a little bit of uh, a lemonade. Okay, and and it's it's actually something loads of ice, you know, tons and tons of ice, and it's one of those things that when you're in Arizona, it's so hot. You know, I know that in the UK at the moment we're sort of saying about how warm it is and being in the city. It's being not Arizona, Arizona heat though, is it? No. Like on another level, it's 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 insane. I mean, I've seen eggs frying on pavements and stuff like that. It's it's, it's off the chain, honestly. And 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 I just remember this drink, you know, of having this ice cold, um, you know, apple bourbon, but. But what I would say, you know, another guilty pleasure is actually whiskey and coke. And but I, I, I would never obviously put anything, you know, too, too heavy in there. Or, or right. I mean, I'm just going to stop you right there. Yeah. This is your safe space. The I want to like whiskey <laughs> podcast is where, like, in the past we've had bourbon and root beer, obviously yeah, yeah. pina coladas, whiskey espresso martinis. Yeah, this yeah. is where you can really let loose and go. Do you know what? rules be damned as long as i like it that's what we're going for yeah, and that's yeah. what i this is what i promote not only within whiskey but also all of our guests is just yeah. let it fly because judgment is the last thing that the whiskey industry needs right yeah, now yeah absolutely so yeah so it's going to be the applejack it's going to be um, you know whiskey and coke i mean i i think i think the biggest thing is like i said before if you're going to enjoy a really really good expensive whiskey then you're not going to be in you know putting too much sort of mixes into it and i think that has its perfect place but you know, for me, I, I'm all about the refreshing drinks. I think that, um, you know, I obviously work in hot kitchens and hot environments. And the one thing that I love is when you're really dehydrated or you're, you're overheating, you just have that really nice, cold, you know, you, you can taste the, 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 the whiskey or you can taste the, the alcohol in there. But also you've got something that just cuts through and just leaves your mouth ready for that ne next bite of food. So that's... Well, there's loads in that. And I'm going to unpack it ever so slightly because... Yes, whiskey is not known as the overall thirst quencher. Let's be completely honest. No no one on a day like we've had over the last couple of weeks has gone, a neat, a neat whiskey, that's going to really hit the spot. Yeah, However, yeah. Um, apples and whiskey. There is so much to be said for the flavor of apples and whiskey with regards to whether you do have an Applejack and lemonade or you are going to have like an... I've been I've been talking about this one for a while now and the old pub classic sparkling apple tizer yeah. Over a light whiskey with loads of ice. Right, right. That is the that is the thirst quencher. And yeah. I always say appetizer because at the end of the day you can get that anywhere and it's yeah. absolutely yeah. fine. So whiskey and appetizer, whiskey and apples, stirred down cocktails if you can get an apple in there as well. Our whiskey super apple is that's why I find that application. But yeah. I think like you say as well, if you need that refreshing sort of first sip rehydrate and you you know you want a little spike in there because you you're at the end of your shift <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i i did very 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 teeny tiny amounts of chefing back in the day but i did do service all the time and at the end of the day if i didn't have to drive a pint of gin and tonic yeah with <laughs> loads and loads of lime was always yeah. going to be my thing so it is just about you know what as long as it's refreshing do what you want and exactly. um I, I and i guess the other thing i was going to touch on is the other similarity of whiskey and food is that if something is made to such a high standard, I, if you're getting beef from the best beef producer around you, do you really want to be making a bourguignon out of that? Or do you want to actually just let the flavors fly and let the simplicity of it fly? So you don't want to add a load to it. You just want to champion that singular thing. 
Yeah, no, exactly. And it's quite interesting. We get, when I was talking about, you know, the way that I enjoyed whiskey, I mean, back in the day, I'd never have any water in it. You know, when I was a young young man, yeah. you know, I'd always have it neat, so I'd never... But but I think, you know, going back to how you're saying about how your palate changes, the one thing that I love now is if I have a really strong sort of complex, you know, whiskey, then I will now always just put a little drop of water in it. And, 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 and as, you know, I, I know that probably the whiskey well, this is a very normal thing, but to me... Yeah, just adding that little bit of uh, uh, water just opens it up entirely, and it's a fantastic way to just get all those amazing flavors. You and you've just picked up on it perfectly. If the flavor is there, and the objective of a good distillery is to make sure your whiskey is flavorful as possible, if you're adding water, all you're actually doing is lengthening that flavor and lowering the alcohol to make it more accessible. So all of a sudden, adding water is completely normal, and all you're doing is lengthening flavor. So it's championing that single product in the most simplistic way, but still having something really complex and super tasty. So again, I just think that the synergies between whiskey and food are really, really close, but it just hasn't been touched upon enough. Uh, I know that we're possibly doing a whiskey dinner with you guys after the summer, after you've got your festivals out yeah. the way in the busy yeah, season. Yeah. So I think it'd be really cool to sit down and have that conversation a little bit further because there is, there's a lot to be done around it. And I think you just need people on the right, on the right track to sort of discuss what flavor really does look like in those scenarios. 100%. 100%. Okay. So um, we've talked about, you know, a few guilty pleasures, although I don't believe in guilt. Um, I think, you know, with regards to, not only whiskey, but also just the chefing world and people doing things from a really good, not only sustainable, but responsible way. I have what we call a punch-up section where it's about, you know, you you telling people that listen to this podcast if they should be aware of people, places, and products that really do champion what we talked about with regards to, you know, just doing things correctly that then they might not be on everyone's radar. You know, you are at the forefront of what you do. You really are. And I yeah. guess if people... We're going to ask you your advice or your recommendations. That's what this is. And so yeah. who within chefing, food, drink, hospitality, anything of that nature, who needs to be on people's radars right now that you're really loving their work? So um, I, I've been chatting to, I mean, obviously quite a few people recently. And um, I think Thomas Bateman is someone who's doing some really cool things at the moment. Um, he's... Uh, uh, a fantastic chef. I met him recently at Pub in the Park. He's uh, um, really, um, I think, uh, doing things, pushing the boundaries, but also really um, focusing on having fun while he's doing it. Um, I would say someone like uh, uh, Drew Baker, who's a friend of mine. He was on MasterChef. He did all the TV stuff, and now he's uh, really pushing the boat out there with British charcuterie. I think there's nice. quite a few sort of British um, cured meat producers that are popping up everywhere, but I don't know how many of them are as focused or as sustainable or as doing it in such a clever way that he and Tom are doing it. I think that their their methods, their, their end result is on another level. I mean, I've just got a piece of their Grand Charlie sitting in my fridge at home. Oh, stop it. Off uh the chain. Are they doing the good British Guanciale? Oh, oh my! It is. I mean, so so they only use British um, uh, X uh, breeding sows. So you know the the cheeks are massive, and it's prop. I mean, obviously, my, my mother's Italian. We we spend a lot of time in Italy. We've got a place out there, 
and it's something which which I really miss in the UK. I miss the. I can't find guanciale anywhere. Like salt, I know salt pig do guanciale, and like if you go to Italy in London, you can find some every now and again. But oh my okay. goodness! So 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 hiss up tempus. Uh, Drew Baker tempus. They're doing some incredible things, and um, he's just a really really nice all round guy as well. Absolute gentleman. So um, I think he's uh, doing amazing things. Obviously, I went to have, I went to have breakfast in Fallow recently. In St. James. They do good stuff. That was brilliant. A fantastic breakfast. Really, really tasty. Um, Marcus there makes amazing drinks as well. So I'm going to tag yeah. him on this one when we yeah. put it up yeah. because Fallow's amazing. And then cheese, like Book and Bucket Cheese Company, these guys, we're working with them. We send our apprentices to them. They're producing a cheese for me, which is a sustainable cheese, which is a bit like a sort of poor man's parmesan, um, you know, like ricotta salata style. So you know, there's there's so many. I don't think we've got time for me to just name as many people. But, but there's just some really cool people at the moment that are sticking out in my mind that are doing just amazing things and, and really showing off, you know, how proud we should be of, of, of the UK food and drink scene at the moment. It's just this is it. And I guess that is coming full circle, that we all need to be proud of what is on yeah. our doorstep. Because yeah. as... As English people, we sometimes we don't think that we do things any good. It's like, oh, why are we making sparkling wine when the French do it so well? It's well, well, we're doing it pretty good. And, we are. you know, we, the same has been said about whiskey. It's like, well, why would I go have an English whiskey when Scotland's right there? And it's like, hey, producers are doing good things right now. You just and the thing is, as well, right now, everyone can say that they're present for the birth of English whiskey can't yep. say that about scotch so you get yeah, to see yeah. see things in their progression so british producers people that champion all good things within food and drink yeah they're probably working at the pig hotels <laughs> if i'm completely honest um right okay so we're going to finish up now james i appreciate your time so much but the last part of this podcast is just all about you so if you want to talk about yourself your work your venues your socials where people can find you if you want people to find you just tell the world james golding how they can come about finding out about you so uh my socials are um james underscore golding underscore chef on um, instagram uh, James Golding 10 on Twitter, obviously the pig hotels, uh, you know, for our Instagram accounts, um, come and see us down the pig. We're obviously span across uh, uh, the whole of the South Coast from uh, Cornwall to Kent. Check out our website for all the details. Um, I will be doing my apprentice pop up at our Smoke Sun Cup festivals. We've got one on the 8th of July at Limewood and then another one on the 12th of August in Kent. And then if you want to see me on the telly, I'll be back on Sunday brunch on the 6th of August, chatting all things pig and all the fun stuff that I do. So, um, yeah, come and, uh, come and see us. And I hope you enjoy what we're doing. Well done. Thank you ever so much. And I look forward to you coming up to the distillery for a walk around as well. That'd be look really good it, fun. We'll be there. Thanks a lot. Great. Until next time, everyone. Cheers from the pigs. Cheers from James and cheers from me. And we'll see you on the next episode of I Want to Like Whiskey. This podcast is brought to you by Cotswolds Distillery, a grain-to-glass distillery based in the Cotswolds National Landscape, a designated area of outstanding natural beauty and the home of England's best-selling single malt whiskey. Our philosophy is simple. We make delicious spirits in a beautiful part of the world. The Cotswolds Distillery. Our spirit, your whiskey.